There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're gonna be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you gonna get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by frankenoak.com. Frankenoak.com is the online destination for guys who want to look sharp and shop smart. Visit frankenoak.com and find a new collection of menswear every month. some wartime correspondence here. This is a letter from the trenches of the Canadian TV industry. I asked this established television producer I know, a showrunner whose career is all about pitching TV shows and then making them, to give me an update on the state of the industry. I asked for the unvarnished truth, and I promised not to use their name if they gave it to me. Here is what I got back. Hi, Jesse. The TV biz is a shadow of what it was a year ago. Other than the CBC, the only stuff that is getting commissioned right now is super safe stuff with already established talent. No one is taking any risks whatsoever. Up until about two months ago, development people couldn't even get their calls returned by the networks. But now at least they're taking pitches, even if it is only for lame projects. CBC is the one exception. 
where in their attempt to compete with cable television as opposed to network TV, they're developing some pretty interesting things. I'm actually pretty impressed with what they are trying to do. It's about fucking time. There's still a wait-and-see approach with the smaller channels. One thing I've noticed is that in cases where channels overspent on CanCon when times are good, they're now delaying airing what they have in the bank. They're trying to stretch their CanCon over as many years as possible. How this works is that legally, they have to air programs within two years of receiving them. This has to do with their CAVCO requirements. Now, they used to air these shows within six months or so, usually shorter than that, but now they are stretching what they have as long as possible so that they don't have to spend any new money. And what it means for producers is that Canadian-made programming becomes just that, CanCon, instead of programming that might be able to gain an audience or that people might actually want to watch. It's now strictly there to fill a requirement. The other big challenge is that much of the programming being produced has to have product integrations built right in. It's money that the network gets, not the producers, but the producers are expected to do all the legwork for it. I used to feel like television producers were making stuff between the commercials. Now it feels like we're making the commercials too. It is a brutal time for the industry. That's the end of the letter. It's a brutal time for the industry, and it's about to get worse. Starting in March, TV providers, your Rogers, your Bells, your Shaws, your cable or satellite or IPTV providers, they're called BDUs in the industry, they will all have to drop the price of basic cable. They're going to have to start offering skinny basic, the core channels that they are legally required to sell you before they can sell you any other channels, and they will have to sell you those packages for no more than $25. By comparison, it's now about $40 for the most basic stuff that Rogers or Bell are offering here in Toronto. And then, after you get your skinny basic, every other channel will have to be offered to you on an a la carte, pick-and-pay basis. Now, this is widely expected to mean the end of many smaller channels in Canada and the shows that those channels produce. Well, my guest today is cheering on these changes. George Berger, who's been on the show before, is an executive at V Media, an independent internet provider slash TV provider. They do IP television. They, along with a lot of other small companies like them, are taking on Bell and Rogers and trying to offer TV subscription packages to Canadians for as little as the government will allow them to. Full disclosure, George Berger is a Canada Land supporter on Patreon, and he'll join me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Ilan Borovich, Melissa Graham, Dylan Carter, Rick Upton, Andy McKim, David Haley, Courtney Goldman, Paul Baines, and Matt Nodge. Matt, why did you decide to be awesome? I work in media a little bit, and I'm always surprised at how we're very, very self-obsessed, but we're not particularly self-critical or self-analyzing. That's where Canada Land definitely fits in there. This, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is also brought to you by frankenoak.com. Frankenoak.com sells menswear on the internet. I don't want to go into a store for the next two or three months, but I also feel like it's this gross part of the winter where you're just wearing stuff that you don't feel good about yourself for wearing. This is not a sexy time of the year. This is not a time of the year when most people feel very good about how they look, but it actually is the best time of year to buy clothing because there are huge sales, big discounts, including at Frank and Oak, where you can get up to 75% off of your clothing purchase. And again, you can do that without having to set foot in a store. There is no risk in shopping for your clothes at frankenoak.com because you can just send back whatever you don't like. Their stuff is stylish and affordable. I like their clothes. I wear their clothes. Their collections change every month. Go check it out now at frankenoak.com. Check out the sale items, which, like I said, are up to 75% off. Check out the rest of their stuff, which you can get 20% off of when you use the code CANADALAND on your first purchase. Frankenoak.com. Check it out. Last time you were on the show, uh, I don't think you said this. It's what I titled the episode, but I think it was a fair uh, description of our conversation. And the title of the episode was Canadian Television is Doomed. Uh, I think that was right. Uh, I, that was right about the title of the topic. Um, I think that we're, we're getting to the point where we're going to find out sooner and sooner whether that is true or not. It's not that far in the future. But in terms of Canadian production, the way it has gone on historically, which is to say sustained primarily by government subsidies and the obligation of consumers to consume it, that's over. One of the key things is that the uh, uh, coming out of Let's Talk TV process, which the CRTC undertook over the last couple of years, uh, what happened was that uh, a lot of the Canadian uh, broadcast and investment obligations of Canadian channels have been diluted. So, for example, history, history television, you know, which, which I'm proud to say I was one of the founders of. Um, you, you know, we, we were wildly successful beyond our expectations with that channel. But at the same time, along with that came the obligations to spend money on Canadian content. And that was fine because you were making a tremendous amount of money and the government said, you're making this money because we're telling Canadians that they have to pay this much money for your channel. So we'd like you to take some of that money and go spend it on Canadian content. Absolutely fair. You had a protected space, you had to be carried, you almost had to be consumed by Canadians. That's no longer the case. And if that's not the case, logically, if I'm a broadcaster, I'm going to say, well, just hang on a second. 
I can't carry those obligations if you're not going to give me those privileges I used to have. And the CRTC recognized this, and that's how a lot of those Canadian content benefits have really been diluted. And that's really why a lot of people don't really know where things are going to be happening, because if you are one of those channels that used to have this kind of protection, and now you don't know in an unbundled universe who's ever going to buy that channel, what's Showcase going to do? How much money are they going to spend on CanCon? They have no idea. There's no way to predict the outcome. Whose days are numbered? Which channels do you think aren't going to make it? I think that there are a lot of channels which are in, for example, sub-30% penetration categories. A lot of category Bs or category 2s, and it depends who you listen to. Uh, but but the, the, those channels don't come with a lot of privileges. They never did come with a lot of privileges. And because of that, they also didn't build up a typically a tremendous viewership. Book TV, for example. In that case, you know, who really is familiar with Book TV? So when Book TV suddenly becomes a, a channel on a flexible pricing model where theoretically I may have to charge you $7.5 to watch Book TV if you want to get it on standalone, you're going to say, are you kidding? A channel that you never thought of, you're never going to think of now for sure. This is the worst case scenario. What, what, what we're hearing, people are losing their jobs. And strangely, I'm hearing that the one company that is returning the phone calls of producers and that is actually still a going concern and is actually picking up is the CBC. Well, so interestingly, the, the benefit of their position is that while obviously they have been having cutbacks, they can predict exactly how much money they're going to have to spend. So the only market, market degradation that they potentially suffer is less money from the government. But of course, you know what that is. Now they're facing a situation where they actually may be getting more money from the government. So well, they are. understandably, they're, they're going to be very, very bullish and, and it'll be a really great place to be. Whether that's a good thing or not, I personally happen to think that a greater concentration of creativity and culture in the CBC is probably the thing that will save us. Because I don't think that it's going to be possible to, uh, to do a walled garden for conventional private TV channels and expect them to be good cultural citizens because the world is just too harsh out there. If their choice is going to be or our choice is going to be either let them sink with the weight of Canadian content or swim by letting them show whatever they want, well, they're more likely going to do the latter. And if they do the latter, it's going to be curtains for a lot of their Canadian content purchases. And then everything will gravitate toward places like primarily the CBC, which is not necessarily a bad thing. All the best and brightest Canadian producers and talent may wind up producing there. And who knows? I don't know. I'm not sure it's a bad thing. Well, it's almost back to basics, back to the original concept of state-funded broadcasting. Absolutely. Of, Absolutely. Of, we, we, we can't compete in a marketplace of entertainment. We can't compete with Americans. We don't have a, dis, a distinct language. So maybe we could return to some sort of a classic concept where actual Canadian-made stuff that's good for you will never, will never thrive. CBC is the place for that, and we don't want the CBC to be making schlock. Uh, I think so, and I, and I also think that there should be a reconceptualization of the role of the CBC. I mean, I, I don't know if that's where you want this discussion to go, but just very briefly, I don't understand why there's CBC, and then there's Telefilm, and then there's the NFB, and then there's a CMF. You've got four different infrastructures, which essentially can easily be accommodated under the same Just in the alphabet soup, uh, the NFB, the National Film Board, of course, CMF, the, the Canadian, Canadian Media Fund. Canadian Media Fund. Which manages the money that comes in. Yeah. Uh, and, and Telefilm, which also manages the money, but with, with, which invests primarily in, in movies and, and uh, to some extent TV. So I don't understand why it's so fragmented. It's just a, it's a, it's a waste of money. And all of that could be done under one roof. BBC does it. BBC has BBC Films and BBC uh, TV. 
I see what you're saying, but during the election, the liberals were making some noises about they want to give CBC back the $160 million and they want CBC to take over film distribution, which everybody I knew in the business said, like, wow, that's a bad idea. Well, you can't put it in charge of it because nobody's going to preclude anybody else from being in the film distribution business. CBC could be a player in it, but you can't, you can't segregate Let it Let me step back hands. a little bit. Do we still need to have government-supported film – when there's no chance, forget about Canadian film surviving in the box office, American indie film of, of uh, that budget level is being blown away at the box office, and that kind of talent is moving to Netflix and to television. So why on earth should we even still have, rather than having the CBC, I mean, it's not that CBC is doing such a great job with everything else, to put them in charge of, uh, of Canadian film as well, is it time to relook at this question of whether or not we want to, it's absolutely crucial that the government supports Canadian film? I mean, what about a, a more holistic sense of like, look, whatever government money there is for screens, for documentaries, for scripted, for unscripted, it all ends up in one place anyhow, where people have the choice of, uh, you know, these are not ghettoized and siloed the way that they used to be. Maybe that should all be under one roof. It would be unfortunate for a lot of very, very talented young people that are in Canada, that grow up in Canada, that love film in Canada, to not have the benefit of some kind of infrastructure here that will nurture their talents. So in the U.S., maybe, you know, there's obviously an awful lot of places where people like that can incubate. There's a lot of major media companies where those people can go and develop their talents, or they can even try to crowdfund. I mean, you know, you know that the cost of making a motion picture right now is very, very low. So if somebody's got a really good film idea, you can go and make a picture, and it'll cost you almost nothing. I know, but isn't it interesting? That's been true for a long time, and we have not seen the huge explosion of of uh, homemade, watchable. Decent. Well, it's very hard in Canada to get anybody private to put up dough for a little film. Yeah. Because that's not going to happen. And that's where Telefilm or somebody like Telefilm really should come in. Because the money that they blow on, on you know, big budget Canadian movies, which, uh, you know, are based on box office track records, which is, which is really totally illusory, um, is really unfortunate because an awful lot of talent, young talent that's languishing – because the big money is being concentrated in the hands of, you know, several producers who have uh, uh, track records of a sort, but certainly not a track record of making money making movies. So, I mean, now we're talking about the film financing scheme in this country where it, it, it's heavily weighted to people who know how to game the system or play the system. People who have track records, not track records of success, but track records of just having made a movie. And so you look at the telefilm libraries each year and it's filled with movies you haven't seen and don't want to. And you're saying, well, shouldn't that money get its uh, find its way to the young people who are setting up Kickstarters for really cool concepts? Without a doubt. I mean, when one, once in a while those kind of movies break through. Look, Quebec is a fantastic example. Even with everything in transition and the old system collapsing, we're sitting here trying to figure out some like macro regulatory framework for best sustaining and giving handouts and nurturing talent. Maybe we should say at this point, it ain't working. Right, that this whole scheme of funding Canadian screen entertainment has been a bit of a debacle from the start. But that doesn't mean that we should eliminate it. I think we should rethink it. I think it should, we should rethink it because I think that that some effort to sustain our our cultural identity and some effort to nurture talent is incumbent on us. I think it's an important policy objective. Mm -hmm. I think it's really crucial. What we should get rid of is the wastage. We should get rid of the scamming. And we should just focus on, you know, truly developing talent in some kind of a creative way where you're going to wind up having metrics where you can actually measure success. 
I don't know how we ended up on these sides of the table. I'm here being a public broadcaster. You're a conservative dude who's now in the internet TV business. You're the barbarian at the gate. And uh, you're here arguing that we need to put money into the Canadian cultural identity. But uh, I think a lot of people in the industry would say that your te- the technology that you represent and the agenda that you're pushing forward for deregulation is one that is an absolute existential challenge. Aren't you an agent of just radical, not even disruption, but destruction of the Canadian cultural, state-funded, the, the whole TV industry as we know it? Well, I hate to sound crass, but I'm a businessman. And in this day and age, as a businessman, I don't know how you can survive without being disruptive of whatever area of business you're in. It's, it's impossible. I mean, would you have ever thought that, you know, a taxi business would be a disruptable business? Every single business out there is prone to disruption. I think in, in ways that, you know, some that will surprise us, well, many will surprise, they'll all surprise us. So for me, I really don't have much of a choice. I'm being pragmatic. I happen to like a lot of the elements of, of, of we have a lot to say as Canadians. So culturally, it's nothing inconsistent to what I'm saying. It's precisely because I think that the business that I represent is going to wash away the conventional ways that we've, we've followed in producing and distributing Canadian content that we need to find a new paradigm. And I think that involves a complete reconceptualization of the infrastructure of culture that we have. And I'm speaking again primarily about English Canada because I'm not an expert in French Canada. And I don't think that it needs that much help. But for English Canada, without a doubt, it's got to be a tabula rasa. You've got to figure it out from the ground up and figure out a way to spend that money intelligently. The amount of money that we have spent over the last 40 years trying to push a string is just catastrophic. And where it wound up, believe me, was not primarily on the screen. I mean, I think that what's happened in the regulatory environment for the last several years, the four or five years, has truly been transformative. You know, I think that the, the, the road that the CRTC took years ago to allow the Shaws and Rogers and Bells of this world to get into the broadcasting space was a disaster. Mm-hmm. That was a very, very big mistake. There was no policy reason for it whatsoever. The, the CRTC had decided uh, sometime last fall that um, new facilities that Bell is rolling out and others – but new facilities, fiber to the home facilities. Uh, I'm talking about wires. Super fast internet, gigabyte. like To your house. Yeah. To your door. Right to your door. And so it's being rolled out all over the place. And the intention of it is to potentially give every home like up to a gig of internet service, which mm-hmm. is mind-bending and probably not needed, frankly. It's not needed. But in any case, that's what's being rolled out. So the CRTC said, if you're rolling that out, you have to make it available to other non-facilities-based yeah. internet providers like vMedia – so that they can provide choice to consumers in using that facility. And that's the way it's been with the internet that we've got with broadband or whatever you want to call it, uh, that uh, companies like vMedia or Tech Savvy, the Rogers and the Bells, they own this infrastructure that goes to the home. But to prevent monopolies or duopolies, they must lease out some portion of it to small companies. And that's to, cre- cre- to, to keep some competition. And Bell does not want that to be the case with this next generation of super fast internet. That's exactly right. Under the it? conservatives, the CRTC said, yeah, you got to. And now as soon as liberals were in office, the uh, uh, Bell Canada said, hold on, let's rethink that. And, and, and part of it was because uh, uh, Bell, from a business point of view, viewed the conservative government as its mortal enemy. Because the conservative government was very passionately focused on choice and competition in internet and 
in wireless. You, I could get into what I used to talk about on, on my old tech show. You know, we, we, we've they've they've benefited from incredible government partnership. They've had right of way laws to go under our homes, over our homes. They've had complete public support to build out that infrastructure. So it's not like they're just some private entity that just uh, footed the bill entirely on their own. I don't even care. It's just good for everybody except them if it's open up to competition. So there's no, no one is making that argument that, that this is their own private playground except for them. Well, and, and worse than that, the public currently is getting a mind-bending screwing in terms of internet prices, and they don't know it. They have no clue. And unfortunately, it's not making no, everybody's bored by this. It wasn't even an election campaign issue. Yeah. But I'll tell you something. What if I told you that your telecom and broadcasting bills now, after housing, food, and transportation, are the highest recurring expense that any ha- family has in Canada? Uh, and nobody cares. Well, Nobody cares that the internet, which used to cost you a 35-buck bill, for, remember for air, three years ago, yeah. is now going up to 65 75 85 bucks, and nobody's blinking. What do you know about people getting their first apartment, their first home, the rate at which they are likely to get a cable or satellite subscription versus the way it was 10 years ago? Uh, that is very, very low, up to a point. I mean, it's drastic, It all depends. It? it depends. I mean, I don't know what's going on in your house because you got two kids. My kids don't have kids yet. They're not. They're not. They don't have families. They can but use once, your cable. But once you have a family, are, currently, do you have any TV in your house? I just bought a 4K TV. But do you have TV service? I have three TVs and no TV service. No TV. Are you going to get any? I don't think so. I mean, right now, it's even even the big broadcasters know this, which is why that uh, Show Me and uh, Crave are being offered as OTT services. So you know, I, I'm thinking, okay, we've got Netflix right now. We may have some other means of getting some programming. Uh, which I would like to be – if I could pay somebody for some of the stuff that I download in the gray area, I would pay, but I can't, so I just download it. Uh, but increasingly, I can pay. So my next my next purchase when it comes to TV services might be to crave or show me or to a different OTT service. I don't think I'm going to be signing up for what you got. Like I still have to – even though the cost of Skinny Basic is dropping to no more than $25. and even $17.95 at Vmedia, $17.95. Players like you might be even, even – like that's $17.95 a month for stuff that I, I don't need or want. Well, yes, but remember, I also seem to recollect that you're not a big sports fan. That's true. Okay. That's a big differentiator for one. The number two thing you got to remember is this. People over 35 who are used to television, I'd be very interested to see the court cutting rate among them, and I'll tell you why. They're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. People aren't dying anymore. You know, <laughs> a, people are in their 80s, 90s. This is your market. Yeah. You know, my mom watches, uses the internet, but she, she'd kill me before I'd cut off her television. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so with me, as much as I can really get into the internet content consumption mode, and I am and I do— I still am not going to get rid of my TV. So there's a lot of people who are just not going to do that. They may not grow because your cohort that's moving into the market is not getting it. But the people who have it now that are all those that are over 35 or over 40, they're not going anywhere. It's still too difficult for me to get the stuff that I want. And I still miss the convenience of just turning on the TV and flipping through channels. Even at $17.95, and then I'm going to go and get the channels I want, I'm probably looking at, at a TV bill of like 40 bucks a month by the time I'm done picking and choosing the channels I want. That's still too high. But like if you could get like, – especially when I'm comparing it to 8 bucks a month with Netflix and a few other places. So, you know, but I, but I spend too much time going through Netflix's crappy library trying to find something to watch. That's it. That's so, it. So, you know, if I could if I could like – That's it. 
if you could give me something for like 10 bucks more where I could just flip through TV. All right, you're, now you're negotiating. Yeah. Now you're negotiating. I'll, I'll haggle with you, Jordan. Let me give you an example, okay? So, for example, to your point, you're exactly the market that I'm targeting my 1795 package for. And I'll tell you why. And, and, it, and it's, it, it's proof is in the pudding. The people who have taken that package, very, very few people among our existing customers have traded down to it. But we've had a lot of people who were our internet-only customers who took it. Mm-hmm. Because what the heck? When I go into, for example, we, we have a— $17.95 a month isn't what the heck. $7.99 a month is what the heck. $17.99, really? Yeah. You, how often you go to a movie in a movie theater? People go to movie theaters. They never think twice about dropping 60 bucks for a movie, okay? Two people. You, <laughs> how, much is your, how much is your Starbucks bill a month when you compare it to being able to watch live news, being able to watch live sports, being able to watch the occasional show that you like? The best entertainment dollar you can ever spend is that seventeen ninety five, and I can prove it to you in terms of how much you, you would consume it if you had it. You can pitch to me, and you might even be able to convince me, but you, you know how consumers think. We're talking about it's a marketing question that once Netflix sets the bar at, at what they're able to do for seven. Ninety nine, it, it it just shifts. Okay, the let me universe. let me throw another concept of, at you. Okay, Netflix fatigue. Yeah. Netflix fatigue. You remember there was a long time ago that people made this big noise about the long tail. There was even a writer who wrote a book about it. You know, what it turned out to be it turned out to be drivel. It turned out to be not true. As much as you thought that you'd really love to see Casablanca, you know, like you you know on a whim and just have it available to you, you don't. You're not going to. You watch the flavor of the month. You watch Fargo, you watch Buzz, you watch what people are talking about, and that's current stuff. Netflix does not create that much current stuff. You know who creates current stuff? Volumes of it? CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox. Yeah, but you're talking they about new stuff. The, the pay TV show that everyone is talking about, and people want to just buy that show. The old bait and switch of trying to get somebody to sign up for a channel so they could get the new season of some hot show, it, it's done. People aren't going to go for that anymore. They, they, they're just, well, except they, for one thing. What's that? Unless you actually want to watch it currently. So, for example— And you don't know how to use torrent. I, I, let's say you were somebody that caught up. You know, the, Breaking Bad is in season five, and you managed to, like, live, you know, original broadcast season five on AMC. Uh-huh. You've caught up to seasons one to four, and you're loving it. I guarantee you you're going to wish that you had the subscription to, the, to, to Breaking Bad on AMC. I guarantee it. And you— well, I'm not going to assume about you, but what you might do is you might decide to rip it and you'll torrent it. But now you're talking about a different value proposition. Now you're talking about theft. And in those kind of situations, that's not legitimately substitutional. I'm not making a moral judgment totally about it. totally substitutional. No, but I'm, I'm not making a moral judgment about it, although I could. Yeah. But the reality of it is you're not really talking – you're not talking Netflix compared to conventional TV. You're talking Netflix plus torrenting compared to conventional TV. But uh, you, You're I'm, not going to hold out for a year to wait for Breaking Bad now that you just drooled over the ending of season four. No, I'm going to steal it if we if we accept that it's theft. But I'll tell you something. You don't want to admit that you're in the same marketplace as theft. You absolutely are. And if I have to make a decision, I don't like torrenting stuff. I really don't. First of all, it's a pain in the ass. And second of all, I do think that some of the money that I would like to have a way of paying uh, the, some of the, the creators of the show, all the intermediaries, not so much. But if you had an option where I could, like in the States, where relatively new stuff is available on iTunes for $1.99 an episode, I would totally, if I'm watching, if I'm dying for the next episode of Fargo, I would totally pay $1.99 an episode. And for a 10-episode season, that's like 20 bucks I'm willing to spend on one show. Sure, but it adds up. Right. That's fair. 20 bucks for a season of Fargo is like, I'm actually like- But it's a year-old season. No, it just came out. Uh, Fargo season two? 
just came out. On iTunes? Oh, on iTunes, you got to wait. Yeah, exactly. That's all. Yeah. That's the whole issue. So I would pay 20 bucks if I could get it in real time. If I could get it the same night that it airs on AMC, that's totally fair, and I think that that's that's not an insignificant amount of money for me, and it's and it's enough to per, to actually keep that system going if they were to offer it to me at that price. But that's not the price that anyone's offering it to me at. First of all, I've got to wait, and it's, it's it, uh, through iTunes I have to wait, and in Canada it's not a dollar ninety nine, and that's not even available to me, right? So I've got to if I want to get it through AMC, I've got to go and get my Skinny Basic for twenty five dollars or seventeen, and then by the time I've bundled up because it's still that way. I mean, even with the pick and choose, what's going to cost me to get AMC? Yeah, okay. Like you're, 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 and you're telling me to make a commitment to AMC for like thirty five bucks a month indefinitely because I want to watch Fargo right now. That worked for a while when you had a captive audience when people didn't have these options, but you are competing with piracy now. Yeah, but that's that. Look, Jesse, uh, you know, I'll come to you and I'll say, Jesse, would you like to invest a hundred dollars? in the guaranteed cure for cancer. Well, of course you would. But nobody knows what's a guaranteed cure for cancer. So you have to invest $100 in a th- or, th- or $10,000 into 100 possible cures. Yeah. When you pinpoint Fargo or you pinpoint the Americans or Breaking Bad, some of my favorite shows, they're not the only shows that were ever made. They, you, they happen to turn out good shows because AMC made 30 other turkeys. Or, you know, or, or FX invested in a bunch of other shows. So you can't, just because you happen to like those, assume that the universe is only going to be turning out those shows. So if it doesn't, and you need a development department, and you need a broadcaster, and you need revenues, how are you going to sustain that unless you get some kind of broad base of revenue where essentially, look at it this way, we are all, for relatively small beer, sharing in the risk and the investment of creating a great TV show. But if you stop sharing in that investment, those TV shows will not be made anymore. And in five years, you will not have your Fargo. You will not have your Breaking Bad. You will not have anything. Stop, and you know that. Stop, it's economics. No, stop threatening me. Look, the, an industry that is based on threat, <laughs> That's not threat. threatening the consumer. It's economics. No, no, no. You can't sell me a burger at, at, at $20 a burger and say, look – you're, you're, you got to pay for all the sandwiches that didn't work out. We 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 had to put so much into R and D to get you this burger. Look, you, you're looking at this from from a warped perspective of what will support the production community, what will support the industry as we know it. You're looking at it from the industry side. To look at it from the consumer side, the consumer wants those hot shows, and they're willing to pay for that. But once spe- they're hot, they're willing to pay for that specific content. And I think the consumer wants to flip through a bunch of channels, and. The first service that offers – I mean Netflix is is an imperfect solution. It's really good, but it still leaves something unscratched that somebody can grab if somebody offers the right solution. I don't know that that solution is going to be through regulated traditional broadcast television. Somebody's going to come up with – either you're going to have a combination of the Craves and the Show Me's and the Netflix and, and, and you know in the States you've got Yahoo Prime, uh, Amazon Prime and you've got uh, you know this Google Play and then you've got the on-demand through iTunes. Nobody is really scratching that channel flipper itch, but I think that somebody could do it. If they do it for 10 bucks a month, that's it. Game over. Yeah, but you see, here's the interesting thing. And you're okay? saying, and then where's the good show going to come from? Somebody will still make it. But you it. know what? Amazon's a good example. So because Amazon's got, or Google, they have such a high level of capitalization that they can wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? I'm going to spend as much as Viacom does on TV production yeah. starting tomorrow. But you could also say that to the Royal Bank. You can say that to General Motors. I mean, they happen to be in another business where they're making money. If those people choose to get into the production business, we're going to be drowning in content of exactly the kind that you like. But that's not the real world. 
So you're going to wind up having we a few already players. Are. Isn't it interesting that as the traditional broadcast uh, industry has been completely destroyed, we have the golden age of TV content, and there are more like really premium TV series that everyone's talking about always than I could possibly keep up with. Because as it's fragmented, this whole idea that we've got to have the network model where they had to have 20 stinkers to have one hit was based on when they were trying to have one hit that had to please everybody. That's a hard thing to do to come up with the next show that's going to be like Cheers. But if you want to make a premium show, what do you do? You hire wonderful, talented writers and wonderful, talented actors. And Netflix, they have like one bummer for every show that everybody loves. The success rate is much higher. Okay. Well, actually, no. But uh, again, we're talking about it's the accumulation factor, you know? It's like when when you walk into a place, it's all of a sudden like it's got like, holy smoke, this got everything here and then after a week you're saying all right now what with netflix it's you know netflix is not a new model netflix is copying the hbo model the hbo model was one locomotive the sopranos yeah people will pay 15 dollars a month as long as the sopranos are on tv or game of thrones for example back in the day when you couldn't rip it so easily you know patch a jesse brown's uh, proclivities Uh, but the fact of the matter is that it was that tentpole that created the brand Okay, mm-hmm. And so people just went out and got it just for that, and that entered the golden age of HBO. Netflix is exactly the same model. It's identical. So why are you not resenting that at some point you may be paying twelve ninety five a month for Netflix, and you may still only be getting one or two key shows a month for Netflix? Is that going to be worth it? Will that satisfy what you want? And if it's only those two, then you're also going to have to pay nine ninety five a month for Amazon, and you're also going to have to pay twelve ninety five a month. The next thing you know, you're going to be paying like you know fifty sixty bucks a month from four different sources, and you're exactly back to where you started from. <laughs> that unless is a, you want to rip, unless you want to rip. No, I I I don't know. I think I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it because people are paying like $100 a month right now for TV and they still don't get everything that they want when they want it. So in this in this dystopian television future where I have five Netflix clones, they've all jacked up the price and I'm still paying 50 or 60 bucks a month, but I have choice, I guess I would still take it over what over what is now. The loss, however, is to go back where we started just having TV from people right around me, having local TV, having local newscasts and, and, and supporting the infrastructure in here in Canada. But don't forget, here's the transaction. And, I, and you know what? You might convince me that that's worth something, but I don't know if you're going to convince this whole country of that. No, but here's the translation of what you're saying, okay? And that's exactly what we're facing now in the TV business because as we're going into this, March 1st is going to be the transition when everybody's going to have to start implementing some of those new packaging requirements the CRTC laid out. Yeah. Okay? So at that point in time... March 1st is when the Skinny Basic has to be $25 or less. Skinny Basic has to be... And December of 2016 is when pick and pay one channel at a time. Well, no, but there's a partial step in that direction because by March 1st, every channel has to be available either as a standalone, either as a standalone or in a small theme pack. Uh-huh. Okay? One or the other. One or the other. Uh-huh. So you don't necessarily have to get a $70 package. But what happens? The unbundling is, commences March first. It's coming happens, right around the corner. But what happens is that unbu- that unbundling does a lot of subsidization. So if it turns out that only one tenth of the market likes to watch AMC, for example, if you want to get it unbundled, mm-hmm. you're going to be paying six, seven bucks, eight bucks for AMC, one channel. Mm-hmm. So before you know it, if you have five different channels in your home that you kind of like to watch. You're almost paying as much as you pay for your big package. And then we're going to see what kind of gaming the consumers do. 
you can't turn back time. I think that some of the broadcasters want to overcharge for these channels, hoping that that system fails and they can move back to bundling. You can't move back to bundling. They're going to have to actually compete on the price of those channels. Look, at the end of the day— none And of why it... aren't these channels, all these channels that are basically giving up the ghost, they're saying, you know what? We had a free ride for so long. We had all this f- basically free money coming in because we were in a bundle so we could put the Waltons on and not make anything decent. Why aren't they— putting up a fight and trying to put something decent on the air so that they might have it tomorrow. Who's got the money? This is Canada. No, seriously, we're a small market. It's not because of lack of talent. It's lack of money. When you have 11 million television households here compared to 110 million in the U.S., it costs the same in Canada or in the U.S. to make a quality show. Who can afford to subsidize it more, Canada? No, it takes that much to make an American-style scripted, right? So then the market changes. It's like, well, what is the cheapest show that can actually gain an audience? And you move into you move into certain formats where you have to think competitively and aggressively to come up with. I mean, if you look at what Canadians are doing on YouTube to 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 get big audiences, then maybe you could take a page from that. Look, I I know I know. For example, I know about Vine. Okay, Vine was like the flavor of the month about six months or a year ago. This was going to be the big place where everybody's going to crash into the into the media business. And I don't think that's happened. I don't think you've got a lot of Vine millionaires. Tell the truth. <laughs> you've got, you got more YouTube uh, thousandaires than you've ever had before. Yeah, and, and that's fine. And that's perfectly fine. But it's not going to substitute. Look at what happened this week, with, the last two weeks with Star Wars. Come on. Billions and billions of dollars. Nobody stayed at home waiting until they could rip it. Nobody stayed at home waiting for it to come to Netflix. This is, and that's why the movie business is more robust than it's ever been. Because there's there's an event aspect to it. People want to be part of something like that. I, I, I think a lot of those habits are not going to change. But the bottom line is that for seventeen ninety five, it's the best deal around. It's going to be interesting. Look, getting back to your question though yeah. about about you know generally like what the liberal government's going to do. I think the real problem that everybody's facing in this business is that they don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows because none of this came out in the campaign. There was no discussion of it in the election whatsoever. And everything you and I talked about at its core boils down to the internet. Everything. Yeah. Because one thing's for sure, almost all TV is going to be consumed one way or the other over the internet in, in, within 10 years. And so it, TV, whether it's it's going to be torrenting, whether it's going to be Netflix, whatever, content, video content will all be on the internet. That is tremendously heavy bandwidth usage. And right now, everything is priced based on bandwidth and usage. People believe that that really matters. Just remember that with the internet, nothing is being consumed. Once the pipes are laid... It's finished. You pay off the pipes, and it's all for free. Think about that. That's what you're paying Rogers and Bell and everybody else for. George, you're in the wrong business. Uh, We'll see. We'll see what the liberal government thinks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jesse. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. The show's website is canadalandshow.com. That's where you can sign up for Not Sorry, our weekly newsletter, which is always so funny. Our crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland, where we are 95% of the way towards our next goal, a weekly arts and culture podcast. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday and Shortcuts is back from its holiday break. That'll be out on Thursday. If you like this show, please support it. Hey. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.